just listening to last week's message from Antonio, where are you? That was awesome. If you weren't here, by the way, I wasn't asking Antonio where he is. He's right over there. But that was the name of his message, where are you? And uh, boy, I'll tell you what, I could hear the voice of the Father speaking through his message to my heart, where are you? I hope you felt the same way. I think a number of you did. You, you communicated that to me. Um, it was awesome. It was really great. Hallelujah. As it should be every time we gather. Praise the Lord. All right. If you have found Luke chapter 1 and Acts chapter 1, let me tell you why I'm reading these two verses. You may not know that the same Luke that wrote the Gospel of Luke also wrote the book of Acts. In fact, he wrote both the Gospel of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts to one man named Theophilus. Now, we don't know anything about Theophilus other than he, than, um, he was probably a uh, person of importance, of nobility, whatever uh, the case was. Uh, Luke, who was Paul's close associate ministry, his physician, he's referred to by the beloved physician, Luke, the beloved physician. He writes this two-part, um, uh, he calls it in, in the scriptures a treatise or a two-volume set, if you will, of historic account. And the first part is the Gospel of Luke, and the second part is the book of Acts, and combined together, they are the story of Jesus' ministry. Now, there's only 28 chapters in the book of Acts. So they took Luke's letter about the Acts of the Apostles and divided it up into 28 chapters. However, as you're listening to this message this morning, you're probably going to hopefully realize that you are writing the 29th chapter. We are living in the 29th chapter of Luke's letter. What Luke wrote about was left open-ended. The ending of Luke's um, uh, uh, historic account of Jesus' ministry ends with Jesus going out into the world through hundreds and thousands of vessels, men and women, boys and girls, that are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit going out to fulfill the Great Commission. But he begins with the Gospel, and I'm just going to read the first four verses just so you get a sense of Luke writing this historic account of Jesus' ministry. Okay. Luke begins, Now many have undertaken to compile an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Like the accounts passed on to us by those who were eyewitnesses and servants of the word from the beginning. So it seemed good to me as well, because I have followed all things carefully from the beginning, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know for certain the things you were taught. And then what follows on is the story of Jesus beginning with the the angelic announcement, uh, the visitation to Mary, birth of Jesus, his life, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and Luke's gospel ends with the ascension of Jesus Christ into heaven. And then he writes the second part of his account, which we call the book of Acts. It was wrote, written, and sent later to Theophilus. So let's look at that, Acts chapter 1, and we'll just read the first verse. 
I wrote the former account, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And then he goes on to say, until the day he was taken up. And this account begins now with Jesus who's been resurrected, who meets with his disciples and tells them, before you go out into the world to preach the gospel, go back to the upper room where the Last Supper was held and the Lord spent that last evening with you and with the, with the disciples and wait until the promise of the Holy Spirit falls upon you. You'll know why when it happens. And then once that happens, you can go. Matter of fact, once that happens, and it did on the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Ghost fell, they were all filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you won't stop going. You won't be able to keep yourself from going. Praise the Lord. So um, he begins the second letter, and notice that opening line, I wrote the former letter to you, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. So in the mind of Luke, who's writing the account of Jesus' ministry, Jesus' death and resurrection did not end his ministry. It was only the beginning. And so when he, after the death of Jesus, writes this second letter, he says, I wrote to you before only about what Jesus began to do. So the book of Acts is what? The book of Acts is the continuation of what Jesus is continuing to do. And you, my friends, are the 29th chapter. Jesus is continuing to do what he did in the Gospels. He's continuing to do that today. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you were, maybe you were raised in a church before you actually got saved, became a Christian. Maybe not, I don't know, but because of my atheist background and having absolutely not a shred of exposure to any religion, any Christianity, anything like that before the night that I actually got saved, to me, it was absolutely astounding and compelling to realize that what I was reading about, about Jesus saving men and speaking to them like he spoke to Peter and says, oh, don't worry about your failures. From now on, you're not going to just catch fish. You're going to catch souls. And, uh, and uh, how that he worked through his life. And, and uh, after Jesus died and rose from the dead, Peter was seen walking through the streets. And as his shadow would pass over uh, people who were lame and crippled, they would get healed. So you, it was very evident that Jesus was continuing to do Everything he did in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he absolutely continued to do it, except now it was multiplied. It wasn't just happening through the one person, Jesus. Everywhere, everywhere the religious leaders went to try to stamp out that fire, they, they just multiplied. And now Jesus is everywhere healing the sick, raising the dead, and, and signs and wonders and miracles are continuing. They thought if they just put that one man down and get rid of him, this is going to end it. And all it did was multiply it. Amen. So when I first got saved, I was, I don't know about you, but I was absolutely in the grip of that thought. Wow, that's me. God is doing, wants to do through me what I'm reading about there. So like I said, I, I, I think sometimes when people have a religious background, it inoculates them. 
from the truth. They, they get saved, but they have a little inoculation. The truth doesn't really impact them. They just, they read it like oftentimes we read the Bible. We just, we even know what it's going to say next, so we just kind of read over it quickly. And it doesn't really impact. It doesn't penetrate. But this morning, something needs to penetrate. Something needs to impact upon our hearts for us to realize that what Jesus began to do, he absolutely expects us to believe that he wants to continue it. Nothing should have changed between 20 centuries ago and today. That's a lot of time in human history, but it's a blink of an eye to God. The Lord is leaning in the same direction, doing the exact same things. Nothing has changed. And he looks at you just like he looked at Peter, just like he, he looked at Mary Magdalene, just like he looked at those common people. He sees you and I today and expects us to let him work in our lives exactly like he worked in their lives. In fact, he really expects us to treat his lordship just like, the, just like they did. They went wherever the, Lord, the Holy Spirit led them. They did whatever the Holy Spirit led them to do. And so instead of reading about these great things and praising God and saying God is awesome because we're in the rearview mirror seeing all those awesome things he did so we know he's able to do it, but we have no expectation of him doing that today. Instead, we need to be, we need to be in fear and trembling in the grip of saying God expects to do these things through me. Don't worry about the pastor. Don't worry about somebody else. Don't worry about the people you think are spiritual. You, all that you read needs to come down upon your own head and your own heart. And you stand before God and say, God wants to speak through me and God wants to act through me. That's absolutely awesome. So Jesus fully intended to fill the world with vessels through which he would function and continue to produce fruit in his ministry. So in case you haven't figured it out, we're still talking about the four Fs, fellowship, focus, function, and fruit. This is all about function. Matter of fact, this is where the rubber meets the road. This is what functioning as a Christian really is. In the Gospel of John, the night that Jesus was betrayed and sat down and had the first communion meal with his disciples at that Passover Seder, in, in John 14, You've heard this verse probably many times, but in context, I want you to listen to all that Jesus said and know that he is speaking to you. I tell you the solemn truth. The person who believes in me will perform the miraculous deeds that I am doing and will perform greater deeds than these because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So when we come in the name of Jesus, not approaching saying Jesus, but when we come into that name, that name Jesus refers to the kingship, the lordship of God. And when we come and bring our lives and worship him, honoring him in his lordship, our thoughts, our desires, our life begins to be conformed to the will of God. He said the result of that is you ask whatever you will, and I will do it. You will see my authority moving through you. As my son would spend the night on the mountain praying and then go out into Capernaum or the cities of Cana and Nazareth and, and Galilee 
and, uh, and minister in the supernatural demonstration of the power of the Spirit. So you, when you get apart with me and you come before me, I will speak through you and you will operate in my authority. That's what Jesus is saying to the disciples. The deeds that I do, the works I do, you shall do if you believe. Now, one of the things I saw right away is that his idea of what believing is and the modern Christian idea of what believing is has changed. Something has dramatically changed. We think if we get people to just take a Bible and say, I believe this, or make a confession, I believe this. But their believing caused them to move mountains. Their believing caused them to be used by God and for the Lord to manifest through their life. Their believing caused them to, to walk and act just like Jesus in, in communion and fellowship with him. And so Jesus said, I tell you the solemn truth. Now, I love the fact that he emphasized said, the solemn truth because Jesus looked down through the corridors of time. Throughout the centuries, the past 2,000 years of church history, he saw all of it, the good, the bad, and the ugly. He sees where we're at today. He sees what's real. He sees what isn't real. He sees all the religiosity, and he sees the truth. He sees that field where the wheat is growing and all the tares among it. He sees the whole thing. And he says this word, projecting his vision down through history to you and I today. And he says, I tell you the solemn truth. The works that I do, you shall do, and greater. Why did he say that's the solemn truth? He said, because you are going to gather in houses, some big, beautiful cathedral, some houses that are filled with 10, 15, 20,000 people worshiping and jumping up and down and shouting and carrying on and others in, in solemn waiting upon the Lord. You're going to gather in houses and they're going to speak in my name truth to you, but it's going to it's going to be a truth that takes all the power away. It's going to be a truth that doesn't allow you to raise the dead or heal the sick or to even believe that God wants you to move like that. It's going to be a truth that uh, is focused simply on rehabilitation. It's going to be a truth that's based on the idea that Jesus came just to bring people out of darkness and back up to a place where God can tolerate them or accept them, and that's what being saved is. He said, but I want you to know the solemn truth that I've called you way beyond that. I've called you way beyond just being acceptable to God through the blood of Christ. I've called you to be vessels. I have called you to act the way I act and to believe that though you are common and you make mistakes and you trip and fall and sin and get up and come before me, that I still want to use you. I'm not waiting for you to be perfect. I'm perfect enough for the both of us. So this is the solemn truth. That's what Jesus is saying. I'm perfect enough for both. If you really believe that I love you, if you really believe I'm the Savior, then believe this. I'm speaking in your ear and telling you to go next door to your neighbor. And when you return that lawnmower you borrowed, tell them, I want to lay hands on that leg that they just discovered cancer in. God's going to heal you. I, you can't possibly want me to do that. I'm just letting my light shine. I'm just hoping they'll see Jesus. Can you possibly hear God say to you, I have an assignment for you. I'm telling you to do something. Why should we think 
that God has changed his character because the miracles of healing and deliverance were not manifestations of some special period of time, some ministry, some purpose that, that uh, evaporated as quickly as it came on the scene. No, those miracles and signs and wonders were an extension of the character of God. They were what God is. He is a healer. He doesn't just sometimes do healing. He is a healer. How can Christians today continue to ram down the throats of people by the thousands, tens of thousands that come into churches that, look, you need to get your life right. Look, you need to please God. Come, we're going to have communion. Let's and then rob from them the joy and the excitement of knowing God wants to use you and move through you in a powerful way. Christians don't even think. They don't even make their minds available to God that God wants to use them. We have created this, this disgusting religious the division that Jesus died to wipe out, that was Old Testament stuff where you had a priesthood and they were the only ones that could go into the... They were all, and they were just as sinful as the rest of the people. There was nothing righteous about them. They were no more holy than the common people out there. And by the time Jesus showed up in the Gospels, those guys were walking around like they were walking on air. They're the ones that crucified him. It was when Jesus threatened to pass miracles on to other people that they said, enough, we got to kill this guy. we got to stamp this out. They wouldn't permit it because nothing in their religion provided or allowed for the almighty holy God to work through sinful people because they could not believe that God could, when he forgave your sins, that he made you righteous and qualified you enough for the Lord to use you. Today, even in spirit-filled churches, we sit there and wait for God to send a special vessel along to do something. We don't even believe God to lay hands on our own children or our own husbands and wives and friends. We believe somebody, we got to get somebody that's got a special position with God. And I'm not saying that there aren't special positions with God, but what I am saying is Jesus never qualified these statements by saying, this is just for the select special person that I want to use to lay hands upon the sick. He said, the believers, the believers, whoever believes in me, I tell you the solemn truth. He who believes in me, she who believes in me shall do the works I do. I am talking to you this morning. I am appealing to you this morning to let us open our hearts and don't kick that can down the road. Don't say, you know, I, I really need to work on my devotional life. I need to stop watching so much TV. I need to cut down on the sugar. Uh, I cuss every once in a while. You know, am I saying that those things aren't important that you shouldn't pursue walking in freedom? And Whatever hinders you or holds you up, the Bible says lay aside the weights that, that, uh, that are holding you down by all means. But do you really think that you're going to work on that list and until you rise up so high up that spiritual ladder of holiness that God's going to have to release supernatural anointing in you so that you can operate? Who do you think is healing people? Who do you think is raising the dead? It's the Holy Spirit. It's not the holy Christian. It's the Holy Spirit. 
This is why Jesus said, if you have faith like a child, if you come to me like a child, a child isn't sitting there all torn up in their minds saying, I can't have Nestle's quick today. I'm probably dating myself. Nobody here, probably half the people here never heard of Nestle's quick. But, uh, you know, I, I, I can't get that yoo-hoo because, uh, you know, I didn't clean up my room. No, when that child sees their father, they know dad's got you who. And all I got to do is ask him. Hallelujah. What is that? That's faith. See, see the Lord forgave you of your sins to clear that, that, that veil of condemnation so that you could be free to jump in dad's lap and say, dad, how about a you who? You see what I'm saying? Glory to God. You know, um, I, I know that we, we, we struggle with this. But this is why sometimes when you see God using people, you think, that can't be right. That can't be right because I know her. And she's just, you know, I've seen her in action. I, that can't be God. People get all messed up when they see who God uses. But that's because we, we, we look at this with religion. We're still thinking Old Testament. The Old Testament was all about Adam fell in sin. Here's ground zero. Adam's down here in some, some, some negative number level. And um, religion is nothing more than a, than a state of incarceration. It is the prison that you lock people into while they work off whatever has alienated them from God so that they can rise back up to zero so they can come back to the point where they're acceptable. But Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. In other words, Jesus starts from the place of acceptance and goes on from there into partnership. You know, I want to ask you the question today. Are you hearing the Holy Spirit? Will you even let the Holy Spirit talk to you and tell you, you give them something to eat? Do you remember when Jesus stood on the hill, 5,000 men? They didn't even count the women and children, sorry. They weren't very politically correct in those days. But uh, so there, there was probably 15,000, 20,000 people there, and they had a little bit of a sack lunch. And um, the disciples said, send the people away, they're hungry. And uh, Jesus said, you feed them. And can you imagine being one of the disciples and having Jesus turn to you? and say, you feed them, you feed them. And uh, they said, well, you know, we, all we've got here is that we found this little boy's got a lunch. And you know the rest. You know what Jesus did. And he blessed that food and asked God to, to bless it. And then he gave it to the disciples. He gave it to the disciples. He said, now go feed them. And the more they passed out, the more it just got filled. And that miraculous, what was that? That was a picture. That was a vision. That was God teaching his disciples. That was Jesus teaching his disciples. This is what your life is going to be. You're going to encounter people who are empty, who are broken, and you're going to come to me and say, do something, and I'm going to look at you and say, you do something. Now, it's cruel for God who can do all things to look at somebody who has nothing and doesn't know what's going on and say, you do something. 
Because they can't. But if you're saved and the Holy Spirit dwells within you and God says, you go do something, it's not cruel at all. In fact, it is normal. It's the way things ought to be. The Spirit-filled mind ought to say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't need somebody giving me a green light, giving me permission or telling me. All I need is to hear, well, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to do? Lord, what do you want me to do? And then do whatever he tells you to do. You say, well, what if he tells me to do something weird? Well, Jesus spit on the ground and rolled up a spitball out of dirt and stuck it on a guy's eye to heal him. I don't know why he did that, but who cares? I know the guy that got healed didn't care. You know, I don't know if I, if I was dumb and couldn't talk and I went and asked Jesus for healing and he spit on his finger and put it on my tongue. You know, I would have thought that was a little bit strange, but I wouldn't have cared if all of a sudden my tongue was loosed and I started talking. There is absolutely no doubt that Jesus expects us to believe that he intends to continue his miraculous work through us. Not us working for him, but him working through us. Do you hear God authorizing you to do the works of Jesus? Are you able to hear him tell you to do the works of Jesus? In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul writes in verse 12, Now we have received the Holy Spirit, not the Spirit of the world, but the Holy Spirit of God, so that we may know the things that are freely given to us by God. God has freely given us some awesome things, but it, it takes the Holy Spirit making us to know what He's given us. So can, can you hear the Holy Spirit telling you what He has given you? Um, you know, hearing it from the Holy Spirit, when you're in prayer and the Holy Spirit tells you, I want you to go over to your neighbor and this is what I want you to do. And you go do it and say, well, Lord, what if, what if nothing happens? Then you need to hang back a little bit and say, Lord, talk to me until I'm not asking the question, what if nothing happens? Talk into my heart until I'm like, let me, let me at him. Let me go. I'll tell you a quick story. You may have heard it before, but many, many years ago, we had a young couple in church expecting their first child. And... Um, the baby was dying or dead in the mother's womb, pretty far on in the pregnancy. She had had a very difficult pregnancy, and she was hemorrhaging. The doctor sent her home, put her to bed, and we'll just wait and see what happens. And um, I got a phone call to go and anoint her with oil and pray over her that the Lord would heal her. And I remember going into the room and anointing Sally and praying over her, took one of our elders and I'll tell you, I was so overcome with doubt, and I was convinced that, the, that that baby was dead. I just had no faith whatsoever. I couldn't get out of that room fast enough. The more I prayed, the worse I felt. You just know, I felt like I was laying wooden hands on a rock. So I left there just convinced, this is, this is bad. She's going to lose the baby. And a couple of days later, we had church. It was on a Sunday morning. 
and uh, Sally actually made it out to church. And she was sitting on the front row, and after the service, everybody's fellowshipping. And you know how you can just about see this scene. Some of the, some of the girls, some of the ladies, we were all quite young, were gathered around Sally, and they were talking with her, and I could see them praying over her and everything. And, I, and they turned around and looked at me, and I was standing maybe 20, 25 feet away. Feet away. I knew what was going on. I knew they were saying, go get the pastor to pray over you. And I turned my back. I kind of turned like that. You know, and I was thinking to myself, no, don't ask me to pray because that's how filled with doubt and unbelief I was just like, no, no, no. I think I've got a word from God that this baby's dead. So, you know, you don't want me praying. But as they began to walk towards me, I at the same time just opened my heart and said, Lord, look, no matter what, this take took place in a flash of a moment, but what, what took place was basically in my mind and my heart saying, Lord, the outcome is in your hands. It's not based on what I feel or what I think. Father, forgive me. Just I'll do whatever you tell me to do. I release myself in obedience to the Lord. That was it. I, I didn't feel any differently as I was saying that. I just did it out of obedience. Don't you know that the moment they got up to me, and, and begin to, you know, tug on my sleeve, Pastor. This, this, I, I you know, it was the anointing of the Holy Spirit, but the, the only way I could describe it was an, an outpouring of faith, just supernatural faith, just hit me like a lightning bolt. And I turned towards Sally, and I knew, I absolutely knew, that the Lord was going to heal her, that it was as good as done. So I couldn't run to her fast enough. I was like, I can't wait to get my hands on her. Excited about what God was going to do. And so long story made short, I prayed over her. And she was wonderfully healed. Her daughter is alive today, probably has many children of her own. And that was that. And that used to happen all the time. Um, and we knew, and we need to know today, that the Lord is just looking for the person who is willing to say, here I am, here I am, Lord, and I believe you can do it. I believe you could do it. And, and know that it's not based on your holiness. It's not based on how much you know or how right you are. So the Bible says we have received the Holy Spirit so that we might know the things that God has given to us that we might know. So start listening to the Holy Spirit. Start opening up your heart and say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. Let me know. What do you want me to do? And I'd like to just end with this thought this morning, with this simple exhortation, that, that Jesus is trying to speak to you. He's trying to speak to me. He's trying to speak to us. He wants to keep doing what he was doing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Please don't listen to the Pharisees. I'm not criticizing anybody. I'm not putting anyone down. But I beg you, stop listening. If you've got to turn the TV preacher off, turn him off. Uh, if you're going to a church where they're telling you that there's no miracles and this shouldn't happen, go before God, ask him to rinse out your mind and cleanse you from all that bad teaching. 
and get before God and ask Him to open up your heart and mind and believe that God has called you to be one of the characters in the 29th chapter of the book of Acts because that is exactly who you are. Can you let the Lord speak to you? And I'll tell you, if you study Jesus' ministry, He wanted to open hearts to receive the gospel everywhere He went. And most of the time, he did it out in the marketplace, in the parking lot of Walmart, or wherever he found himself in his, tra tra um, in his travels. Do you know why people thronged to him? Because when Jesus started his ministry, he started by opening the eyes of the blind, healing people. And after a while, man, everywhere he went, they were coming at him because they wanted God to relieve their burdens. And, you know, the Lord didn't, the Lord didn't have applications that he gave out to those people in the crowd to check off, you know, get your pastor to sign off on this and, and tell me that you've been in church, tell me that you've been paying your tithes, or none of that stuff. Why? I bet that he, I bet some of those people he healed were sinners. Let me tell you what, every single one of them were sinners. There was not one righteous person that Jesus healed. You can bet your bottom dollar on it. Jesus did that because he knew that his mission was to let the world know that God, our Father, is the God of love, the God of redemption. <sighs> I, I can't say it to you enough. We, we, in the broadest sense of the word, collectively, we, the, 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 the whole volume of Christianity have done so much to ruin the gospel and to, and to bind up believers with unbelief and keep us busy on that treadmill of constantly trying to improve ourselves. The church has be, is, is too busy with, with um, uh, um, uh, the business of um, what do they call it when you're, when you're an addict and you go away to rehab? The church is so locked into a gigantic spiritual rehab program. And again, I'm not undermining that the Lord is rehabbing our life. I'm not saying that we ignore those things. But what I'm saying is that when you base everything of significance and importance on your life simply being rehabbed, you know what? You're in a constant state of disqualification. You know what I'm saying? If your daughter came home to you and said, I found a wonderful guy. Oh, we'll bring him to dinner. Well, he can't really come right now because he's still got three months on his sentence. Uh, well, he really can't come right now. He doesn't get out of rehab for another year. You know, You'd, What would your reaction be? You know what I'm saying? When you're in rehab or you still got time on your sentence, nobody's going to give you the daughter. Do you understand what I'm saying? Nobody in their right mind. And so as long as we keep Christians in jail and in rehab, they're never going to feel qualified to go out and say, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. They're not even going to feel that they have a right to seek God for that. But let me tell you this morning, if you're a praying Christian, if you're an honest Christian, if you have a life with God and you're in dialogue, you're in communion, then as 
Antonio preached last week, you're coming before Jesus, and you're saying, Lord, here I am, no matter how much it hurts, boy, that, that first 15, 20 minutes of prayer, when you're grinding it out before God, you're laying your faults out and confessing your shortcomings, it hurts, it's awful, but you do it and you go through it because you want to get out from underneath that yoke of condemnation. My God, Get through, breakthrough, acceptance in Christ is yours. It's yours. Why has the Lord brought you to that place of freedom? He's brought you there so that you can go out and he says to you, freely you've received, now freely give. Here's our altar call this morning. It's a simple assignment. Stand with me. This is what I would like to ask you <clears throat> to do. Beginning this morning, even beginning right now, actually. Would you be willing to open your heart to the Holy Spirit and say to the Lord, Lord, here I am. Send me.